Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, and welcome to our special episode, our COVID Hopecast. I am your producer, Christiana Kimmick, and you will be hearing from your wonderful host, Ashley Loeb-Blassingame, who will be wrapping up this COVID Hopecast at the very end with a special message. So stay tuned. We wanted to do a special podcast episode specifically for COVID that inspired hope. Ashley and I uh, recorded a bonus episode, but we felt like we really wanted to give you guys an episode that specifically was full of inspiration and just some courageous stories. And we brought on some very special guests to help us do so. You're going to be hearing from a big handful of our former guests who wanted to participate in this. So stay tuned to hear from very special guests that you've heard in the past. They will announce their name and their episode number. And each one of them brought something very special to the table that's been helping them get through this time. So sit back, relax, be inspired, and enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Nicole Ori from the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast, Season 1, Episode 17. I am so happy they are doing this COVID Hope Cast. I think it's important for us to rally together as much as possible right now. I know there is great uncertainty during this time, and I think any type of positive message or hope can get us to the next minute, day, month, I chose this reading because it made me feel grounded and reminded me to stay in today. I heard it a few weeks ago and I keep referring to it to be reminded. So the reading is from a book called The Wisdom of the Rooms and it is as follows. When one door closes, another opens, but it's hell in the hallways. I've never been comfortable with change. Before recovery, I had few tools or healthy ways of dealing with it. For example, if something ended in my life, it often felt like the end of my life. Once I entered the hallway, it was scary indeed. As I flailed around those dark hallways, I reached out to the only thing that brought me relief, alcohol. But soon, even that flickering light went out. When I entered recovery and began working the steps, I learned many valuable life lessons. The first was, one day at a time. Even though life was still scary, I learned that I could get through anything just for today. And if I kept my focus on what I was doing in the moment, I could handle my anxiety. The hallway doesn't look so long or so dark when I do this. Perhaps the biggest thing I learned is that this too shall pass. No matter how bad things can seem or what is happening, it too will pass and things will change. And with change comes new openings, new opportunities, and new beginnings. Today, when one door closes, I have tools to deal with the hallways while I wait and watch for the new doors to open. And in my experience, they always do. So what I get from this is to take everything one day at a time. During these anxious times, I need to do a gratitude list. So that's a helpful tool for me to just get grounded. Even if I'm just listing three things that I'm grateful for, I just get like hyper-focused with where I'm at and it brings me back to the moment and it switches my perception. So I'm continuously reminding myself that this too shall pass and come up with ways to keep me in the moment. I really hope this reading was a helpful reminder that you're not alone. 
that we are all in this together, even if we are distancing and this too shall pass. Bye guys. Hi, this is Jen Elizabeth. I'm from the Courage to Change podcast, episode number 24, sending everybody lots of love and healing and understanding. Um, I know this time is really rough, but we will get through this together. And I also just wanted to share a little quote, something I wrote a while back, and that is that I give myself permission to rise from the ashes, even if those ashes came from fires I set myself. Lots of love. Hi, this is Melissa Bresnahan. I was a guest on the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast that was published in August of 2019. The episode I did was episode number 19. And I was asked to provide a hopeful message for everyone for this new podcast that they're putting together. I thought about a lot of different things that I could talk about, but I ran across a quote that was on the internet the other day. It's written by Donna Ashworth, and it's a very simple, positive quote, and it helped me continue to have a positive, optimistic attitude about this very different time that we're going through. So here we go. History will remember when the world stopped and the flights stayed on the ground and the cars parked in the street and the trains didn't run. History will remember when the schools closed and the children stayed indoors and the medical staff walked towards a fire and didn't run away. History will remember when the people sang on their balconies in isolation, but so very much together in courage and in song. History will remember when people fought for their old and weak and protected the vulnerable by doing nothing at all. History will remember when the virus left and the houses opened and the people came out and hugged and kissed and started again, kinder than before. So I think that's a pretty amazing quote. It really helped me to have an optimistic attitude as I continued to be stuck here at home. So I just wanted to wish everybody good wishes and blessings, and hopefully we will all soon be experiencing life after the pandemic soon, and we'll all be kinder and stronger than before. Thank you. This is Peter Loeb, Episode 8. It's easy to forget, pandemic or not, that we live on the Earth in a precarious balance. We live in a small ocean of air. Six miles above us, there's no breathable oxygen. Perched on dry land, it turns out we surf a sea of molten rock just a mile below our living rooms and golf courses on continents always in motion. Our Earth hurtles through space at 67,000 miles per hour, orbiting a massive thermonuclear explosion we call the sun that holds us just far enough away not to burn up that ocean of air. But we don't notice. We just live our lives. Ironically, In the face of this danger on a galactic scale, we've been stopped in our tracks by a tiny parasite that's one millionth of a meter in size. But what hasn't changed is us. We humans. Our spirit will not be broken by the pandemic. We've overcome some pretty big challenges in our history. We will overcome this one. The way we will do it is love. The love of families. The love for our neighbors. For others who share our struggle. I pray we can remember that we are all one, we humans, and that the most important thing we can do is be kind to each other, help one another. If we stick together, we will beat this virus. 
Hello, my name is Floor Edwards, and I was on the Courage to Change podcast, episode number 13, entitled Growing Up in a Cult and Finding Healing and Recovery in Adulthood. And I want to share my one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's very hard for me to, to just pick one. So I instead picked a favorite quote that I think is quite resonates with me right now during this time. So I picked one from Anais Nin, and the quote says, And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And the reason why I like this quote, or the reason why I find it to resonate with me right now, is because I feel like right now we're all going through a lot of change, and change is by its nature very painful and and difficult and scary and I think the analogy of the butterfly um, coming out of its um, of its cocoon or its or a flower blossoming as this quote as this quote says I think it's it's sort of what it can feel like to go through some some sort of change and I actually did an interview recently and I was talking about how with all this change happening around us you know I think there needs to be some change happening within us. And that's what I've sort of been doing here at home in quarantine. I've just been trying to do some, you know, self-introspection, some self-reflection, trying to work on myself because there's not a whole lot of uh, anything else that I can do right now. So that's one of my favorite quotes that I'm sharing with you. And I hope that it is inspiring for you as well. Thank you. I hope you're all staying safe, happy, and healthy. Hi, my name is Renee Siegel, and I am so excited to share with you as part of this podcast. I've chosen to share with you some affirmations that I created for myself. At the beginning of every year, I create affirmations, and as our pandemic fell upon us, I realized that my affirmations for 2020 were a little off. So I created some new ones that I think are really appropriate for me and perhaps for you and I'd like to share them and please feel free to use them as your own if they're helpful. I am safe and find so much passion within myself to engage with both myself and with others while I am here now. I invite a continuous flow of prosperity and awareness to manage my life with grace and gratitude. I use my time wisely and in a balanced and responsible way. I maintain contact and meaningful connections with those I love. I send loving thoughts to heal our planet. I find ways to continue to use items I already have. I offer my skills to others in need. I consistently practice love and care for my body. My work continues to grow as we transition to a better life. I maintain my power and agency as I serve. I find creative solutions to maintain my wellness lifestyle. It is my sincere hope that you have found some value in these affirmations. Perhaps you'd like to create some for your own that are very specific to your own response to this pandemic and ways to Stay focused on loving yourself and loving others and loving our planet and and accessing the internal resources we all have of resilience. 
May blessings be for everybody. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jonathan Wells from the Courage to Change podcast, episode number 25. I know these days have been trying to a lot of people, so I wanted to share a quote I came across from one of my favorite storytellers and former monk. The quote goes, swap why this is happening to me to what is this trying to teach me by Jay Shetty. I have recently come across this situation pretty much every day in the past couple of months since the COVID-19 epidemic. Questions like, why am I more irritated? Why am I fighting with my boyfriend more? Why are so many of my friends hurting and being laid off with nothing I can do? I have turned to this quote and found the answers to each of these questions and know what my higher power is trying to teach me. More patience, forgiveness, and the gift of giving to those in need on items that they need more than I do. I hope that helps and stay safe out there. Hi, my name is Debbie Hickey. My episode aired on November 26th of 2019. It was actually a mini-sode and it was dealing with feeling overwhelmed in recovery. What I'm going to share with you today is just a short story that I wrote back in January of 2017 when I was feeling particularly overwhelmed. The title is, I am enough right where I am. Weeks pass and the heaviness of the long day is here once again. The feeling of so much to do and not wanting to do anything moves its way through my entire being. Do I just go to bed or do I make some coffee and pound through the ridiculously long to-do list? The thoughts roam around my head as the night sky turns darker and darker. The end of the day seems hard sometimes and my body feels heavy and my mind unwilling to be productive. Was my day wasted? Did I do enough for my job, my kids, for others? When do I take time for me? My heart needs something and I can't see clearly what it is. I'm feeling frustrated and think about running from this overwhelming feeling. Is it loneliness that needs to be lessened? Is it that time marches on no matter what I do or don't do? Is it that the space between where I am and where I wish I was seems to be never ending? I choose to pause, breathe, let a few tears drop from my tired eyes. I venture deep into my soul to explore my humanness and the details of who I really am. I crack my office window and let the cool night air rest gently on my face. Not so far in the distance, I hear the sound of an owl with its almost haunting call in the darkness. I choose to accept all of me just as I am in that quiet or not so quiet moment of introspection. The vision I have of my journey is a beautiful thing resting gently in my mind. I see myself facing fear when it shows its ugly face, moving into the complete unknown when going back is unbearable, and unconditionally loving my kids and dogs as they join me, trusting I can see the way to something better. I make a decision to keep moving with an open heart and wide eyes, always looking for the next right step, the next positive thought, the next place to give, and the next thing to be grateful for. Each moment unfolds in its own special way. Tonight I give in to the sleepiness and put something comfortable on. I find a warm spot to relax and feel confident with my choice. I tell myself, I am enough right where I am, and I believe it. Hello, this is Emily McAllister from episode seven from the Courage to Change podcast. And I hope you guys are all hanging in there and doing really well. 
or as best as you can do right now. Um, something I thought that was really helpful for me in shifting the way I perceive and think about the way things are going on right now is to try to come from a space of instead of thinking that these things are happening to me or to us, or why is this happening to me or to us, to shift that thought into what if things are happening for us and for me. And when I do that, I'm able to find a little bit more gratitude and and see the gifts of um, some of these circumstances right now. And it also helps me understand that we are in the middle. This is not the end. And typically, whenever something is challenging in my life, once I get to the other side of it, I'm able to have a clearer understanding of why that had to happen. And it also helps me to then be able to help somebody else going through it. So I don't know if any of that made sense. I hope it's helpful to you as it has been for me. And I hope you continue to stay safe and stay well and hang in there, guys. Hi, everybody. This is Bayan McDermott from episode two, the Courage to Change Recovery podcast. I hope you all are well, sending you all some joy and lightness during a time that I know has been really challenging for a lot of people. And I also wanted to take this opportunity to read an inspirational story to you all. It's, it's one that's been inspirational to me over my life. And you may have heard it, but I find it's one that is nice to be reminded of. So here it goes. Once upon a time, there was an old man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking on the beach every morning before he began his work. Early one morning, he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed and found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions. Off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy approaching. As the boy walked, he paused every so often, and as he grew closer, the man could see that he was occasionally bending down to pick up an object and throw it into the sea. The boy came closer still, and the man called out, "'Good morning. May I ask what it is that you were doing?' The young boy paused, looked up, and replied, "'Throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach, and they can't return to the sea by themselves,' the youth replied." When the sun gets high, they will die unless I throw them back into the water. The old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you won't really be able to make much of a difference. The boy bent down, picked up yet another starfish and threw it as far as he could into the ocean. Then he turned, smiled and said, it made a difference to that one. So I've been thinking a lot about this story as it relates to everything that's been going on in the world lately. And really been moved by the community that has been built out of, in new and different ways, out of this coronavirus and quarantine and have been really astonished and inspired by the acts of service and acts of kindness that many people from all over the world have been doing for one another. And one of the most important parts of my recovery journey and my sustained recovery is acts of service and being of service to other people. And I found that when I have been able to focus during this time on other people, it takes me out of myself, out of my fear, out of my anxiety, and could potentially help change the course of somebody's day. So even if that's a smile to a stranger while I'm walking my dog or a thoughtful message to somebody. I found that doing things for other people in little ways during this time has had a huge impact 
on my well-being and on my emotional outlook. And who knows, it may have a difference on somebody else's day. So it's something that I've been focusing on and it's also something that I have seen all over the world happening, that people are really thinking more of each other. And that's a really incredible thing. And I know for myself, it really helps me get outside of a lot of the things that may lead me down a dark path. So I'm grateful for that reminder. And I'm also grateful to be reminded that all the little tools that I've learned in this recovery journey, they too make a difference. So when there are days that I don't necessarily want to pick up one of the tools that I know has had a huge impact on my sobriety, I need to be reminded of this story as well in in that regard, in that all of the tools that I have make a difference in my life and can and can very really change the course of the day for me. So I am grateful to have a little bit of time with you all. I hope you all stay well and I'm sending you all lots of love. Take care. Hello, my name is Ashley Loblassingame and I'm going to read you an inspirational speech. This speech was given by J.K. Rowling at Harvard University's commencement in the year 2008. All right, here I go. President Faust, members of the Harvard Corporation and the Board of Overseers, members of the faculty, proud parents, and above all graduates, the first thing I would like to say is thank you. Not only has Harvard given me an extraordinary honor, but the weeks of fear and nausea I have endured at the thought of giving his commencement address have made me lose weight. A win-win situation. Now all I have to do is take deep breaths, squint at the red banners, and convince myself I am at the world's largest Gryffindor reunion. Delivering a commencement address is a great responsibility, or so I thought, until I cast my mind back to my own graduation. The commencement speaker that day was the distinguished British philosopher Baroness Mary Warnock. Reflecting on her speech has helped me enormously in writing this one, because it turns out that I can't remember a single word she said. This liberating discovery enables me to proceed without any fear that I might inadvertently influence you to abandon promising careers in business, the law, or politics for the giddy delights of becoming a gay wizard. You see, if all you remember in years to come is the gay wizard joke, I've come out ahead of Baroness Mary Warnock. Achievable goals, the first step to self-improvement. Actually, I have racked my mind and heart for what I ought to say to you today. I have asked myself what I wish I had known at my own graduation and what important lessons I have learned in the 21 years that have expired between that day and this. I have come up with two answers. On this wonderful day when we are gathered together to celebrate your academic success, I have decided to talk to you about the benefits of failure. And as you stand on the threshold of what is sometimes called real life, I want to extol the crucial importance of imagination. These may seem exotic or paradoxical choices, but please bear with me. Looking back at the 21-year-old that I was at graduation is a slightly uncomfortable experience for the 42-year-old she has become. Half my lifetime ago, I was striking an uneasy balance between the ambition I had for myself and what those closest to me expected of me. I was convinced that the only thing I wanted to do ever was to write novels. However, my parents, both of whom from impoverished backgrounds and neither of whom had been to college, took the view that my overactive imagination was an amusing personal quirk that would never pay a mortgage or secure a pension. I know that the irony strikes with force of a cartoon anvil now. 
So they hoped that I would take a vocational degree. I wanted to study English literature. A compromise was reached that in retrospect satisfied nobody, and I went up to study modern languages. Hardly my parents' car rounded the corner at the end of the road than I ditched German and scuttled off to the classics corridor. I cannot remember telling my parents that I was studying classics. They might have found out for the first time on graduation day. Of all the subjects on this planet, I think they would have been hard put to name one less useful than Greek mythology when it came to securing the keys to an executive bathroom. I would like to make it clear in parentheses that I do not blame my parents for their point of view. There is an expiry date on blaming your parents for steering you in the wrong direction. The moment you are old enough to take the wheel, responsibility lies with you. What is more, I cannot criticize my parents for hoping that I would never experience poverty. They had been poor themselves and I have since been poor. And I quite agree with them that it is not an ennobling experience. Poverty entails fear and stress and sometimes depression. It means a thousand petty humiliations and hardships. Climbing out of poverty by your own efforts, that is indeed something on which to pride yourself. But poverty itself is romanticized only by fools. What I feared most for myself at your age was not poverty, but failure. At your age, in spite of distinct lack of motivation at university, where I had spent far too long in the coffee bar writing stories and far too little time at lectures, I had a knack for passing examinations, and that, for years, had been the measure of success in my life and that of my peers. I'm not dull enough to suppose that because you are young, gifted, and well-educated, you have known hardship or heartbreak. Talent and intelligence never yet inoculate anyone against the caprice of fates. And I do not for a moment suppose that everyone here has enjoyed an existence of unruffled privilege and contentment. However, the fact that you are graduating from Harvard suggests that you are not very well acquainted with failure. You might be driven by a fear of failure quite as much as a desire for success. Indeed, your conception of failure might not be too far from the average person's idea of success. So high have you already flown. Ultimately, we all have to decide for ourselves what constitutes failure. The world is quite eager to give you a set of criteria if you let it. So I think it fair to say that by any conventional measure, a mere seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. The fears that my parents had for me and that I had had for myself had both come to pass and by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that failure is fun. That period of my life was a dark one, and I had no idea that there was going to be what the press has since represented as a kind of fairy tale resolution. I had no idea then how far the tunnel extended, and for a long time, any light at the end of it was a hope rather than reality. So why do I talk about the benefits of failure? simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one area I believed I truly belonged. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized and I was still alive. And I still had a daughter whom I adored and I had an old typewriter and a big idea. And so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. You might never fail on the scale I did, 
but some failure in life is inevitable. It is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Failure gave me an inner security that I had never attained by passing examinations. Failure taught me things about myself that I could have learned no other way. I discovered that I had a strong will and more discipline than I had suspected. I also found out that I have friends whose value was truly above the price of rubies. The knowledge that you have emerged wiser and stronger from setbacks means that you are, ever after, secure in your ability to survive. You will never truly know yourself or the strength of your relationships until both have been tested by adversity. Such knowledge is a true gift. For all that, it is painfully won, and it has been worth more than any qualification I have ever earned. So given a time-turner, I would tell my 21-year-old self that personal happiness lies in knowing that life is not a checklist of acquisition or achievement. Your qualifications, your CV, are not your life. Though you will meet many people of my age and older who confuse the two. Life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. And the humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. Now you might think that I chose my second theme, the importance of imagination, because of the part it played in rebuilding my life, but that is not wholly so. Though I personally will defend the value of bedtime stories to my last gasp, I have learned to value imagination in a much broader sense. Imagination is not only the unique human capacity to envision that which is not, and therefore the fount of all invention and innovation. In its arguably most transformative and relevatory capacity, it is the power that enables us to empathize with humans who experiences we have never shared. One of the greatest formative experiences of my life preceded Harry Potter, though it informed much of what I subsequently wrote in those books. This revelation came in the form of one of my earliest day jobs. Though I was sloping off to write stories during my lunch hours, I paid the rent in my early 20s by working at an African research department at Amnesty International's headquarters in London. There in my little office, I read hastily scribbled letters smuggled out of totalitarian regimes by men and women who were risking imprisonment to inform the outside world of what was happening to them. I saw photographs of those who had disappeared without a trace, sent to Amnesty by their desperate families and friends. I read the testimony of torture victims and saw pictures of their injuries. I opened handwritten eyewitness accounts of summary trials and executions, of kidnappings and rapes. Many of my co-workers were ex-political prisoners, people who had been displaced from their homes or fled into exile because they had the temerity to speak against their governments. Visitors to our offices included those who had get, come to give information or to try to find out what had happened to those they had left behind. I shall never forget that African torture victim, a young man no older than I was at the time, who had become mentally ill after all he had endured in his homeland. He trembled uncontrollably as he spoke into a video camera about the brutality inflicted upon him. He was a foot taller than I was and seemed as fragile as a child. I was given the job of escorting him back to the underground station afterwards, and this man, whose life had been shattered by cruelty, took my hand with exquisite courtesy and wished me future happiness. And as long as I shall live, I will remember walking along an empty corridor and suddenly hearing from behind a closed door a scream of pain and horror such as I have never heard since. The door opened and the researcher poked out her head and told me to run and make a hot drink for the young man sitting with her. She had just had to give him the news that in retaliation for his own 
outspokenness against his country's regime, his mother had been seized and executed. Every day of my working week in my early 20s, I was reminded how incredibly fortunate I was to live in a country with a democratically elected government where a legal representation and a public trial were the rights of everyone. Every day, I saw more evidence about the evils humankind will inflict on their fellow humans to gain or maintain power. I began to have nightmares, literal nightmares, about some of the things I saw, heard, and read. And yet, I also learned more about human goodness at Amnesty International than I had ever known before. Amnesty mobilizes thousands of people who have never been tortured or imprisoned for their beliefs to act on behalf of those who have. The power of human empathy, leading to collective action, saves lives and frees prisoners. Ordinary people whose personal well-being and security are assured join together in huge numbers to save people they do not know and will never meet. My small participation in that process was one of the most humbling and inspiring experiences of my life. Unlike any other creature on this planet, humans can learn and understand without having experienced. They can think themselves into other people's places. Of course, this is a power like my brand of fictional magic that is morally neutral. One might use such an ability to manipulate or control just as much as to understand or sympathize, and many prefer not to exercise their imaginations at all. They choose to remain comfortably within the bounds of their own experience, never troubling to wonder how it would feel to have been born other than they are. They can refuse to hear screams or to peer inside cages. They can close their minds and hearts to any suffering that does not touch them personally. They can refuse to know. I might be tempted to envy people who can live that way, except that I do not think they have fewer nightmares than I do. Choosing to live in narrow spaces leads to a form of mental agoraphobia and that brings its own terrors. I think the willfully unimaginative see more monsters. They are often more afraid. What is more, those who choose not to empathize enable real monsters. For without ever committing an act of outright evil ourselves, we collude with it through our own apathy. One of the many things I learned at the end of the classics corridor down which I ventured at age 18 in search of something I could not define was this, written by the Greek author Plutarch. What we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. That is an astonishing statement and yet proven a thousand times every day of our lives. It expresses in part our inescapable connection with the outside world, the fact that we touch other people's lives simply by existing. But how much more are you, Harvard graduates of 2008, likely to touch other people's lives? Your intelligence, your capacity for hard work, the education you have earned and received give you unique status and unique responsibilities. Even your nationalities set you apart. The great majority of you belong to the world's only remaining superpower. The way you vote, the way you live, the way you protest, the pressure you bring to bear on your government has an impact way beyond your borders. That is your privilege and your burden. If you choose to use your status and influence to raise your voice on behalf of those who have no voice, if you choose to identify not only with the powerful, but with the powerless, if you retain the ability to imagine yourself into the lives of those who do not have your advantages, then it will not only be your proud families who celebrate your existence, but thousands and millions of people whose reality you have helped change. We do not need magic to change the world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. I am nearly finished. I have one last hope for you, which is something that I already had at 21. The friends with whom I sat on graduation day have been my friends for life. 
They are my children's godparents, the people to whom I've been able to turn in times of trouble, people who have been kind enough not to sue me when I took their names for death eaters. At our graduation, we were bound by enormous affection, by our shared experience of a time that could never come again, and of course, by the knowledge that we held certain photographic evidence that would be explicitly valuable if any of us ran for prime minister. So today, I wish you nothing better than simple friendships. And tomorrow, I hope that even if you remember not a single word of mine, you remember those of Seneca, another of those old Romans I met when I fled down the classics corridor in retreat from career ladders in search of ancient wisdom. As is a tale, so is life. Not how long it is, but how good it is, is what matters. I wish you all very good lives. Thank you very much. In this time of pandemic, in this time of fear, Uh, in this time where maybe many of us are slipping into poverty as a result. I think that what J.K. Rowling's speech really touches on is the ability to hope and the ability to see ourselves in other shoes and the ability to touch other people's lives. And that's, that's the true gift of humanity. We spend a lot of time on this podcast telling stories of lives and, and things that happen in those lives that are unimaginable. And oftentimes the emotional part is listening to these stories and thinking about ourselves in those situations. We are able to use our imagination to imagine a life that we didn't live, to imagine a failure we did not experience. And my hope, having listened to this speech, is that we all come away wondering how we can live a little bit better, how we can imagine a little bit differently and how we can empathize with people who are struggling during this time, not just our own struggles, but those of the people around us. I think that this speech holds so much, so much wisdom. And one of the things that is often quoted by JK Rowling is the quote, and so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. I think that it's important to remember that what we achieve inwardly will change our outer reality, that we have more control than we think we do that we get to make choices about what our inner reality is. And I hope that everyone listening finds a way to make their inner reality just a little bit brighter after listening to this Hopecast.